Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher, and it is cold in Abington, Virginia this week. It has been snowy and chilly, and it's reflected in my toboggan. But I want to welcome you back to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 82, What Do You Need? Now remember, this is all a part of the how-to section of the R versus Should problem. And in the last few episodes, we've sort of talked about who is this going to work for? What are the assumptions uh, that I've made moving forward? What's the construct of this? How is it going to work? And really what I'm trying to do is give you enough information on the front end to say whether or not this is something that you think might work for you. And I think what's really going to determine that is one, if you sort of like what I'm saying, and two, is your background and your history sort of more like mine? You know, uh, what I've noticed is that for me, in order for someone to say things that really help me or for things to land right, I have to share some sort of common history. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, we were both cheated on or we both experienced some childhood trauma that's exactly the same. Not like that. But I think the more the sort of teacher and student, if you will, line up, and, it, and it's not really like I'm a teacher or a coach, certainly not a therapist or anything like that, but the more someone's experience sort of lines up with something you can understand or relate to, the more likely whatever follows that comes out of their mouth or is written down in a book by them is going to work for you. You know, for example, I'm really attracted to Dan Harris. He's written a couple of books um, about uh, meditation for fidgety skeptics. So for sort of non-believers to get into meditation, he's helped them because he is a fidgety skeptic. Um, and he also runs the 10% Happier podcast. And he wrote a book called 10% Happier where he just kind of wanted to be 10% happier, which is a little bit about what this episode's about. But why I can relate to Dan is because he's sort of an analytic, intellectual, smart informed, educated guy who had a panic attack on live TV and went, what the hell just happened to me? And had to figure out ways that might help him change his life for the better. But he went into it with sort of a mindset of, you know, of disbelief and of doubt and of a healthy skepticism. I can relate to that. And it turns out I can relate to most of what Dan does. And if you need a podcast that's sort of in the personal growth realm, his 10% Happier podcast is fantastic. Enough plugging. So, yeah, so um, part of Dan's, as, to use him as an example, continue that example, he needed something, right? Because he's, all of a sudden he encountered this anxiety and he had this discomfort as a human being and went, I don't like this. How do I change it? And, it, and it's not like I'm skinny, I want to get buff, or I'm overweight and I want to get thin, or I get out of breath walking up the stairs and I need to get healthier. I need to eat a better diet. It's, you know, when you have a mental discombobulation, there's really not much room. It's like, well, what did Freud say? Can I go to a therapist? And there's a whole lot of stigma around that. And my experience with therapy is that, again, this match of the therapist and the client are so critical, but often overlooked. And it's so difficult and you've got insurance and payments and people end up in mismatched relationships all the time and make Small amounts of progress. Anyway, there's lots of, lots of um, bad data and failed relationships out there that make the approach to mental health, well, let's just call it that for now, uh, as a strategy, as a plan, as a choice you want to make, as something you want to get better at, a difficult thing to do. We're in an era now where there's all kinds of different ways to do it. 
When I was a kid, there was no word for anxiety. We didn't really have it. It was just called stress. And certainly kids didn't experience it because kids have it easy. And then, and then as we grew up, we, you know, depression and anxiety became a thing. And then unfortunately, our strategy to, to treat that, to deal with mental discomfort, let's say, I don't know what to call it, was go see a therapist or prescribe you some SSRIs. We don't even know what they do, but they seem to work. I'm like, what the hell is that? I was on SSRIs for a while. I'm not anymore. I'm neither a fan nor um, um, an opponent. They work when they work. Again, this is a very custom-fit, subjective thing. But so let's back up again. What do you need? Why are you here? Why do you care about whatever I'm saying? What, What am I doing? You know, I want less discomfort in my life. I want more calm when I sit around and get fidgety and, dis- and seek a distraction for that next dopamine hit, for example, my relationship with my iPhone, you know what I'm talking about. I don't like that. I don't like that I'm not in control of that habit. You know, and I've beaten in so many habits, biting my nails, although you know, sometimes I fall back into that one. Nicotine, alcohol I have under control, marijuana use, um, you know, chronic overthinking. I have all these habits. I have all these go-tos for when I just am sitting idle. And what I really want to do is to be able to make peace with myself. And so in order to do that, I need to learn, right? And then I might need some assistance. In our, in our classic, again, relationships with assistants are things like teachers, parents, um, uh, extended family members, therapists, counselors, coaches, Right, We're, that that world is getting bigger, but each one of those things has stigma and resistance to it. A big part of which comes down to the fact that, like I said before, when I was talking about mindset, if you go to a therapist and it fails, no one blames therapy. Well, there's two things you can do: blame therapy as a model, therapy doesn't work, or blame you as the client, and that you're doing something wrong. Neither of which of those things is helpful (laughs) in changing what we want to change. And then sort of, again, the 30,000-foot view, this is what Buddhism is talking about and Taoism and many other of the ancient religions that are two, three, four, five, ten thousand years old. Humans have been dealing with this for a long time. So what do you need? You need some tools and strategies to help you deal with being human. In the face of a culture that doesn't want you to. (laughs) In fact, culture wants you to conform and pay your taxes and work your 40-hour work and be quiet. And it wants to shame you out of your having any of these problems when really it's just being normal. So the first thing when when you even voice out loud that you want to get again, all these catchphrases, you want some personal growth, you want some healing, you want some Mind expansion, span your horizons, what we used to say like in, in grade school. You know, when you want more out of life, you are immediately punched back down, you know, and, and, and shamed for wanting that. Oh, is there something wrong with you? Oh, you're not happy? Oh, well, I'm happy all the time. I got plenty of money. I got a great spouse. I got great kids. Everything's great in my life. What's wrong with you? Right? That's the first thing that happens. And so that's what we're up against. When we ask, what do you need? And then, again, as, as far as who I am and, and whether or not we match up, I have a, a huge 
issue with codependency and people pleasing. You know, I, I grew up um, in, a, in a healthy household with good parents who stayed together, but may not have been as present as I needed them to be. There was a mismatch between what I needed and my ability to ask for those things and my guardian sort of understanding and relationship to me, uh, what they could do to help. And so I grew up sort of, you know, what, what people will call today as, as suffering from emotional abuse, neglect, right? I didn't get my needs met as a kid. And so I came up with strategies of how to deal with my parents, my friends, my external world, and then as I grew up, my adult relationships, my spouses, in a ways that got me through the day and made me feel better about myself and made me feel valued, um, not like an imposter, not like something was wrong with me, you know, that I, that I had meaning and purpose in the world. And the way that I did that is by trying to reduce conflict in my relationships and I, you know, I did this lots of different ways by behaving the way, by learning to perceive what I thought people wanted from me and giving them that, to conceding and, and avoiding arguments and avoiding conflict by always sort of doing what people wanted me to do. And that worked because it kept people calm, it kept people quiet, and it maintained my connection to those people by feeling like I had some purpose. And I didn't feel like you know, it covered up all that mis- feeling misunderstood. You know, if I couldn't figure out how to make people see me and help me feel valued, then well, at least I could create my own, right? And this, again, this strategy worked in the, in the short term. Lots of people do this. One of the most common uh, relationship issues is codependency, people-pleasing, whatever you want to call it. But the the, the end result of an, the extreme expression of that behavior is we sort of forget who we were before and replace that with this new with our role. And again, you can make fun of me, you can beat up on me, you can try to shame me all you want. This is how it is. This is something I have to deal with. There's a lot of people out there that need to be dealing with this. And, and I am in my own ways. But where I ended up after my divorce was sort of... Uh, <laughs> People would ask me what I wanted and what I needed, and I literally did not know because I'd just forgotten those parts of me that I had needs because my needs were so um, um, shelved and and put on hold for so long in lieu of meeting other people's needs because that was what I needed. You know, I created this. I forgot. I didn't know. And so it's a fundamental question to ask yourself in as much as asking yourself what your values are, um, what your likes are, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You're feeling a little bit of discomfort. What do you want to do? You know, you might say, well, I want to drink a few beers and watch a little TV and fall asleep. You know, that's fine. Now we can talk about why there might be better things you can do later, but if that's what you need, then do that. You're feeling like, I know I saw where Adam Grant, the, think, the author of Think Again, which is a book that I'm rereading, which is just amazing because it talks about this exact same thing, you know, when we were young, when I was young, I thought I need to figure out how to make these people have value in me so I can feel better about myself. And so I thought of a strategy of how to do that, which was people pleasing. Well, now that I'm older and those strategies have created more problems than they've solved, I need to think again, right? And that's what I'm doing. And maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe what you need is to think again. Uh, and I, and I, shoot, I've totally lost uh, whatever it was that <laughs> Adam Grant said, but at least it's important. Uh, to know about that book. So the question of what you need could be many different things. And the problem 
you might have with that is you may have no idea. And that's starting from zero. And you really have to figure out how to wrap your head around this. Now, maybe you don't suffer from, um, you know, that kind of identity crisis, like extreme codependency. And it's easier for you to think of what you may need right now. Again, like watching Netflix for a few hours or taking a day off. Oh, that's what Adam Grant, he, the, the idea that Adam Grant, I got it back, um, introduced was um, taking a, um, a day off work just because you're feeling sad. You know, not a sick day, but a sad day, and and try try to try to sort of normalize the idea that you were just too depressed. is an extreme word, but just you know, not mentally up for going to work and making it okay to sort of say, you know what, I need to, I need to, my needs are such that I need to lay low, I need to chill out, I need to recharge my batteries, I need to go for a long walk, I need to watch Netflix and chill, whatever it is that you need. We just more and more as a culture in the U.S. anyway, we've forgotten how to connect with these things. Uh, and and, and it's, sort of, it's sort of easy to, to boil this down to things like shelter, food, and water, right? But then there's the more emotional things that are absolutely needs. Just because you're not going to die in three days because you don't have love doesn't mean you don't need it. And so getting over that is huge. And the first step is for us as individuals to allow ourselves the kindness of, of saying it out loud, that this is something that I feel like I need in my life right now, and I'm going to give it to myself out of self-compassion. And because, damn it, I just want to see if it works, you know, if it helps. And, sort of, and so things like safety, right, security, to feel needed. You know, if I wanted to lay mine out there, besides the basic stuff, it's like I need to be recognized as having value because I, my entire childhood, I erroneously felt like I had none. Nobody's fault. I'm not saying, and I really, I'm, I'm not some entitled snowflake saying I had this terrible life. It's just a fact. My thought processes are somewhat neurotic in that I taught them to myself as like a five-year-old kid as a way to deal with my immediate surroundings. And that's directly a result of my parents' immediate surroundings and their family histories. They have their own issues and conflicts that they were dealing with that are unresolved. And I grew up in that environment. We all did. It's only, you only do what you can do. Now, the intent was definitely there. There are people out there who were sexually abused, absolutely neglected with no food and shelter or cleanliness or any of that stuff. That's terrible, but those are obvious. You know, no no offense and not trying to rank anything or say one is better or worse than the other. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be obvious. You don't have to have, you know, been to Vietnam to have PTSD, right? This is just the nature of how our brains work. It has nothing to do with the stimulus, right? It has nothing to do with your parents. Well, it has some things to do with who your parents were or are, um, but it has more to do with how you interpreted the information you had at the time within yourself, right? And you can only do what you can do. And if you get deep into IFS, you understand that a lot of us, we recreate parts. Parts of ourselves create roles. They sort of see what's happening and our brilliant, creative, amazing human selves figure out a way to construct a protective, uh, you know, protection me- mechanism to keep us safe. 
And that's what I did. I felt unwanted. I felt unseen, unvalidated, worthless, really. Like I wasn't good enough that I really had no value as a person, literally. And that's a terrible thing to say. Nobody did anything directly to me, but it felt like that. That's all that matters. And so I wanted that feeling to go away. And so my parts created a strategy to help that feeling go away. That strategy, which is, again, really common, was people-pleasing. And ultimately, that can become codependency and the loss of knowing what the hell we need as individuals. And part of this this change, this fire from within that you wouldn't be here if you didn't feel this cognitive dissonance, this restlessness, comes from knowing that something is could be better. And I am not a perfectionist when it comes to details. I am not, behaviorally speaking, my go-to is not to try to improve everything in my life. I have known people like that. I do that, but it's not my, I'm not neurotic about it. Like I do not care about details. I can, you know, deal with smudges and scrapes and, 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 and messiness in my life. I'm probably average right now. I have known people who everything they look at, their first thought is, hmm, that's good. How could it be better? And I think that becomes sort of a problem. So I'm not coming from that perspective. But I do feel like there are things about my experience as a human that I would love to tackle, right? I'd love to improve on. I'd love to just sort of... I can imagine a life, <laughs> instantly enough, it kind of resembles my fantasy of what a human's life might have been 10,000 years ago. I can imagine a life that's filled with, you know, where time slows down, there's more calm, where my basic needs are met. Um, yeah, which is different in many ways from the life I experience. Now, I would love to tease apart the parts of my life that are creating stress or discomfort, or dissatisfaction, and figure out how you might be able to change those things. You know, there are tons of strategies out there right now for doing this. I mean, all of the get rich quick and, and self-help and snake oil things out there that you see are about fixing whatever this you call this problem. Uh, and I'm sort of saying, what is your problem? <laughs> you know, what do you need, right? What is it that you're driven to, to address or think about or grow into, you know, if it lines up with something that I'm saying, I think that this series of videos that I'm doing might, might benefit you in, you know, validating your position, giving you something new to think about, giving you new resources to read or, or to grow with, and, 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 and might explain some of these things that you've known about out in the periphery that I've had direct experience with coming at them from a Dan Harris-like skepticism. You know, I'm going to talk about things like meditation and journaling and mindfulness that sound like a hokey joke to me on a lot of levels. But I've gotten to a point where I really can't deny that what, what benefits I've seen in having practiced them. So, you know, use me as an example of somebody who might be like you and sort of said, that's a bunch of crap. And through trial and error and experimentation, I'm starting to realize that, you know what? A lot of the ways I used to think were actually the crap. And 
for you know, things like Buddhism, things that have been out there for 4,000 years and appear on everybody's radar screen that's ever talking about anything resembling uh, personal growth are talking about. Well, there might be something to them. So maybe this is going to help you open your mind a little bit uh, and see the wisdom of some of these seemingly pedantic uh, um, um, strategies. A little bit more about what we'll be talking about are things like we'll keep revisiting your what your why is, what your values are. And, and, and what I talked about many episodes ago called the personal inventory. Like where who are you right now? And what's good and what's maybe not so good and what you might want to keep and what you might want to change going into the future. Those are sort of you're going to comprise your needs, right? What, what's your goal or what's your dream of moving forward through some sort of system of steps? You know, it'd be like one example would be I don't like the way I look in a bathing suit. I would like to look a little better, and I think doing that means I need to lose about 30 pounds. What are my strategies going to be? Now, there's an infinite world beyond that. And much of it might not work for you. And some of it might, you know, there are things like, uh, intermittent fasting, CrossFit, jogging, weight training, you know, eating differently, um, veganism, uh, uh, you know, Atkins diet. There's so much overwhelming stuff. What I'm trying to do is show you who I am and how I work. And you can look at that and go, nah, that guy's full of crap and walk away. Or you can go, hold on a minute. There, I hear some, some resonance in, in this stuff. I'm, I'm picking up what he's laying down. Maybe there's something to be learned. That's probably going to work for you, right? Or there are strategies that are at least worth a shot. And so other things I'll be talking about in the future, again, I mentioned meditation and awareness and, and sort of controlling your attention and taking the observer's perspective. Mindfulness, affirmations, gratitude, sort of controlling how we think on a daily basis to build those neural pathways that, that need to be built differently than they currently are. Some things as benign as journaling or having a list of go-to items f- f- to do with your idle time. These are the lists that I have right in front of me for the next four episodes or so. And so I hope that you'll continue on this journey and that you get something from this. I welcome your feedback and your comments. Tell me where you think I'm wrong. Tell me where I think I'm right. Maybe some ideas about other things I can include in this uh, enchilada uh, of um, personal growth. I appreciate your time as always. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 82, What Do You Need? I'm Chris Bircher. I'll see you guys next week, and take it easy.